Uh, tonight we're talking about uh, Jesus dying, and this is kind of the point that we come to in the chapter. And this is something that, um, you know, regardless of what you believe, I mean, this is one of the most significant things that has happened in history. I mean, because the Christianity came out of this point. And obviously, if you are a Christian and you uh, have grown up in the church, or maybe you're recently a Christian, you've been around Christianity, I mean, this is a really significant idea that Jesus died, that Jesus was crucified. But kind of the question we want to talk about tonight is why is that such a big deal? Why is Jesus dying on the cross have such significance? Why is it that that really became the symbol, and still today is the symbol of Christianity, of this whole movement that sprang forth? Why is the cross, why is what Jesus did on the cross the thing that, that Christians look to and go, man, that is the significant thing. That's the piece that, that really represents all of it. Because if you think about it, it's kind of odd, right? I mean, people wear crosses around uh, their, their neck and... I mean, if you saw somebody that wore a gun around their neck or wore an electric chair around their neck or a, a, a noose around their, maybe, well, not like a, a represent, you saw someone with a noose around their neck, that would be weird as well. But if you saw somebody, this, maybe it's a new trend that's going to start, hipsters wearing nooses. Um, some of you would like that. Um, but why, why did that symbol, that piece of, I mean, really a murder tool, an execution tool, why did that become something that Christians go, no, that's actually what represents us. That's the thing that is the whole movement really defined by. Well, how come that is so significant? And maybe another question that's related is, and I, I get this question a lot from people, which is, what relevance does that have to me today? Sure, maybe that happened, and maybe that's really what birthed the Christian movement, but what relevance does the fact that Jesus died on a cross a couple thousand years ago really have for me today? How does some historical event have any sort of meaning or impact to me today? I mean, there's all sorts of things that have happened in history that we don't go, oh man, that affects me today. You might, you might look back at it, it might be interesting, it might be something that um, maybe you can have some sort of inspiration through, but, but why is that the thing? Why is Jesus' death, why is the crucifixion something that Christians say, man, this is the thing. This is what defines it all. Why? How come, how come that has become such a big deal, a defining deal, in fact? And in chapter 19, which we will read the whole thing uh, tonight, which is a little long, but we'll, we'll read the whole thing here. This is the point in the story that Jesus is crucified. And so this may be a familiar story to you, or it may be uh, new to you, but we will read this chapter, John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can take the one in front of you, you can take it home and uh, read it every day, or you can just take it home. Um, this is what it says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and that's like an intense whipping. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So they're, they're mocking him. They're creating a fake robe and a fake crown. Pilate went out again and said to them, he, so he's going out to the Jewish crowd and saying to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He's kind of trying to pacify the crowd if you were here last week. He doesn't really want to kill him. The Jewish crowd wants to kill him and Pilate's kind of trying to appease them. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. 
Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So he's like, wait, he's said what? He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Excuse me, sorry. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So they're kind of taunting Pilate and saying, Hey, if you don't, if you don't kill this guy, <clears throat> can you get me some water, sweetheart? Thanks. Um, this sweetheart's my wife, just so you're, you're like, huh? Hey, sweetheart. Um, <laughs> that's not part of the text. So... They're, they're kind of like, hey, you need to kill him because if you're claiming to be a friend of Caesar, the, the emperor, then if, if you do, if Jesus is opposed to him since he has claimed to be a king. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. You see, he's really trying to kind of taunt these guys. He's not too happy with with them. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So as Jesus is getting crucified, there's these four ladies and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own 
home. So even, and this isn't, we're not going to really focus in on this part of uh, the text, but even as Jesus is dying, just imagine this, even, even as he's being crucified, even in the moment that is the most painful when over here in the corner soldiers are gambling over who gets to keep his clothes, and when he is standing there in front of all of these mockers and all of these people that wanted him dead, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about his mom, and he's thinking about his friend. Even there on the cross as he's dying, he sees his mom crying and looks at John, the author of the book, and says, this is your mom now. And looks at his mom and says, this is your son now. And from that day forward, John took care of his mom. So just, man, just think about, that's Jesus. Even in the worst pain, he's thinking of other people. He's thinking of practical needs. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the Jews are in the middle of one of their feast days, and they don't want dead bodies just around. And so they asked that the soldiers would break the legs, because when you're being crucified, part of what keeps you alive is being able to push yourself up on your feet. But when the legs are broken, you can't do that anymore, and you basically are, you die from asphyxiation. So you die basically from not being able to breathe anymore. So they want there to be a quick death. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified, crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And John, now talking about himself, says this, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So we come to this moment in the story that John has been telling us where Jesus is crucified, where he's killed, he's dead, and he's now buried. And the words that I want to focus in on are the last words that Jesus speaks on the cross, and he says, it is finished. These are the words that Jesus says as he is dying. These are the words that Jesus says as now we're 19 chapters into this story that John is telling. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. So what's he talking about? What, what is he talking about? Why say from the cross, does he just mean my life is finished, it's over, I'm dead? Is that what he means? I don't think so. What does he mean when he says it 
is finished. What is finished? What's finished? What's he talking about? And all throughout this book, Jesus has been saying that he has a mission. Jesus has been saying that his life is leading to something, that, that he's here on the earth to do something. So he's not just saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm healing this person, and I'm teaching this teaching, and I'm, but the whole book we've seen that Jesus actually has some sort of mission that he's on. There's some sort of purpose by which all the different events and all the different teachings and all the different things are structured around. And now on the cross, he's saying, the mission's done. It's over. I've crossed the finish line. The, I mean, just it's, it's finished. The mission that I came for is accomplished. These words, the same words that are, it is finished, are the words that would be used to stamp on a bill that says paid in full. And Jesus is saying, something is done now. It's finished. The mission that I came for has been accomplished. Which, it doesn't look like that, right? If you look at somebody dying on a cross, you may think, yeah, it's fin- they're finished. Whatever, whatever they were trying to do, whatever, it's not going to work, apparently. But Jesus is saying, this is actually the moment that everything I've been working towards is now completed. This is actually the moment that everything I've been doing has been accomplished now. It's, it's been accomplished. It is now finished. So what is the mission that Jesus says is finished? And when we look at the book that John has written here, when we look at this book, you can see what it is. And it's not just Jesus' Jesus' mission that he came here wasn't just to heal people. It wasn't to set up um, some religious institution. It wasn't to uh, just give good teaching. But what Jesus has talked about throughout the book is really two main things. And he's talked about glorifying God So Jesus has said repeatedly, the hour, my hour has not yet come, or when my hour comes, and he keeps talking about this hour, the hour that it would be finished, the hour that he would be on the cross, and says, when that hour comes, I will glorify God, and said things like, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then he will glorify God, and has talked about part of his mission being to glorify God, and I know that's not language we use a lot, and it's kind of religious and weird sounding to talk about glorifying something, right? But what does it mean to glorify? In the book that John writes, really the context is to say that it's showing who God is and showing what God is like. That what Jesus has said, he is after. That part of what Jesus' mission is, is to say, here's what God is like. Here's who God is. Here's what he's like. You want to know what God is like? You want to see how good he is? You want, to, you want to really get a clear picture of God? That's part of what Jesus said his mission was, was to glorify God, to show him clearly. And then the other part of Jesus' mission that he really talks about over and over and over again in different ways and in different languages is that he came to bring life. And Jesus says in John 10.10 that I have come that they may have life, and life to the full. And he talks about bread, that he is the bread that brings life. And he talks about being himself water, and that he's the water that brings life. And if you've been with us for the past several weeks, I mean, that is what Jesus continues to talk about, that his mission is to bring life. To bring life, which is Jesus defines as knowing him. It's being in a relationship with him. 
He doesn't just talk about life in a physical sense or life even in an eternal life that sometimes people think of, heaven. But he talks about, I've come to bring you life. Life as it was really meant to be. Life knowing me. So when Jesus says, it is finished, what is it that's finished? It's his mission. His mission to show clearly who God is and what God is like and his mission to bring life. That's what Jesus says is finished in this moment on the cross. But how does the cross make it finished? Why is it the cross is the thing that makes that mission complete? If if Jesus says, here's my mission. My mission is to show clearly what God is like. And my mission is to bring you life, to know me, to enjoy me. That's my mission. Why is it that the cross makes that mission finished? Because in some ways it would seem like the cross actually ends the mission. Hey, if you're trying to show us what God is like and you're trying to bring us life, but now you're dead, how is it the cross makes it so that mission is finished? And why the cross? Like if Jesus' intention was just to say, let me show you what God is like, or Jesus' intention was to bring us life, why not just show up and say, okay, let me teach you what God is like. Get ready for a sermon. Or if, if that was his intention to bring us life, why not just show up and say, okay, everybody, here's life. You can know me now. Let's have fun together. Let's enjoy each other. Why, why the cross? Why is the cross needed to make it finish? How come when he gets to the cross, he can now say that the mission is completed? Well, we have to understand that something is in the way of what Jesus is trying to bring us towards. Yes, Jesus wants to show us what God is like. And yes, Jesus wants us to experience life with him. But there isn't just an A to B connection. Something is in the way. Something is blocking that desire that Jesus has for us. Jesus looks at each of us and goes, I want you to know what God is really like. I want you to see him and know him and enjoy him. And Jesus looks at us and says, I want you to find life with me. Not to just know conceptually that I'm there, but I want you to know me and have life that I've given. But something's in the way. That's why there's a mission That's why Jesus doesn't just show up and say, here you go. There's a mission to do something, to remove some sort of barrier that keeps God here and and what he wants for us, knowing him clearly and enjoying him and life with him and us here. And the mission is to get rid of whatever is in the middle, blocking the connection between the two. And this is where the cross comes into play, of how the cross actually makes the mission finished. Because something is in the way between what God wants for us and where we are at. And see, what the the Bible teaches and what Jesus has taught throughout this book is that in our hearts, we're people that naturally turn away from him. We're people that naturally turn away. Even though Jesus says, man, this is what I want for you. We see it just in the stories throughout the book. And you know, mainly who it is is religious people. Sometimes we can think, oh yeah, those, there's those bad people that don't like Jesus. But mainly in this book, the people that turn away from Jesus are the religious, I mean, that's who had him crucified. Even to the point of, hey, it's one of our religious days and we'd really like these guys' legs to be broken so we could get on with our ceremony. It's like, oh, that's very holy of you. 
all throughout the people opposing Jesus, there's something in their hearts, something in our hearts that naturally turn away from him when he calls us. That he says, I want to show you what God is like. And we say, I, I kind of already know what God is like. Have you ever said something? I mean, here's, here's just a real practical thing. Have you ever said something? I think probably most of us have. Have you ever said something like, well, I couldn't believe in a God that ever felt that or thought that or said that? That's saying, I believe God is like this. And Jesus says, part of what I came to do is show you what God is really like. But if we ever feel, well, no, I want to believe in a God like this. That's part of just that resistance in our hearts to wanting God to be how we want him to be. Or Jesus says, I want, I want to bring you life. I want you to know me. But have we ever felt, well, I think I know how life should be. See, there's this natural disposition in us that says, I actually, I kind of want parts maybe of what Jesus offers, but we also have this natural disposition to turn away from him. And Jesus says that's what gets in between us. God wants, Jesus wants us to know him, to see him, to find life with him. But something gets in the way of that. Something gets in the way. Even, even if you're a Christian today, you still find something getting in the way of God wants us to experience this. And there's things that get in the way of that. And Jesus came. The mission was to get rid of that so that the distance would be closed so that we, we wouldn't be over here and God would be over here. We wouldn't have our ideas of what God is like, not liking what he's really like. We wouldn't have our, our own pursuit of life over here, missing out on the life that Jesus calls us to. So the Bible calls that sin. And I know we have different ideas sometimes of sin, and most of us don't feel ourselves to be sinful people because we're good people. But that's really what the Bible defines as sin is that propensity and that inclination in our heart to want to define God for how we want to define him and to turn away from him and not want to just say, okay, sweet, you say this is where life is, that's where life is. You say this is what you're like, that's what you're like. That's what the Bible calls sin. And what Jesus says blocks us from experiencing what he came to do. Jesus says there's something creating a relational Jesus says there's such a difference distance between us that's what Jesus says okay on the cross that's the translation it's karaoke night so <laughs> that's that's that just popped into my head because there's this distance between us and God and Jesus says there is a distance it's a million miles apart and Jesus is saying hello from the other side Truly, okay, as funny as it is, truly. Thanks, God. <laughs> I think that's the first clap I've ever gotten in a sermon. I need, to, I need to bring Adele in more often. There is a distance, though. I mean, if we can think about that relationally, right? Like relationally, when there's this distance between people, this heartfelt resistance, we have all felt that in some relationship whether a romantic one or a family one or a co-working one, we've all felt that kind of, there's a big distance between us. And so man, imagine a friend or imagine a co-worker or a boss or a, a romantic uh, relationship and you go, man, we could have this. 
we could have this. We could enjoy life with each other. We could, and we sometimes even say, man, they don't, they misunderstand me. They don't know what I'm really like over here. And that's what's happening, that there is a, Jesus wants us to enjoy this. That's his mission is to get us over here, but there's something blocking it. And it's the thing in our hearts that doesn't get him. It's the thing in our hearts that says, no, life would actually be better over here on the other side. So, how does the cross, how does the cross make it finished so that that barrier is removed? How does the cross do that? Well, what we all know is this, and, and just kind of take your minds out of a religious setting for a moment and just think about what we all know is anytime there's been a wrong, anytime there's been something that's been done, there has to be some sort of solution. There has to be some sort of payment for that wrong that's been done. And the greater degree of the wrong, the greater that that payment needs to be. I mean, that's what our whole justice system is built on. You don't, you don't get a parking ticket and get the death penalty, right? I, don't, I mean, that would be really bad. You go, dang it, street sweeping on Tuesday. There goes my life, you know? I mean, you can feel like that sometimes, but $35 or whatever it is. I got so many of those things when we first moved here because they didn't have that in Seattle. I'm just like, no! Uh, so... Uh, I was like, I'll sweep it myself, you know, let me park here. Just leave a broom outside the car. Um, but th there's a justice system that is equal to, equal to whatever the crime is, right? And we all have that innate sense of if there's a crime done, then justice needs to be had. I was watching the news, uh, I, was reading, I read an article and watched a, a video of a guy in Cleveland and uh, maybe some of you saw this, his, there was a, a father and there was a serial killer that had killed his daughter and several other women and the, the killer was being uh, sentenced and he, he got the death penalty. But the dad, as he was giving kind of his statement, just couldn't contain himself, got up in the middle of the courtroom and just jumped. I mean, and the guy, I mean, jumped and tried to get at the guy, and I don't know what he was going to do. I don't even know if he knew what he was going to do, but he was kind of kept from him, but he got, got pretty close. But there's that sense of we know that when something done wrong, there needs to be justice. I don't think any of us would watch that video of that dad lunging at the, and the guy, the killer was like smiling. No one would go, oh, I can't believe he did that. We, I mean, even if, even if, you believe in our justice system and think that it should play itself out and you don't think the dad should do vigilante justice, no one would go, oh, what a horrible person. We would all go, yeah, I think I get it. Or even the movie, some of you probably saw it, where Leo won Best Picture, finally, you know, for The Revenant. And the whole movie, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to give away everything, but the whole movie is about him trying to get vengeance, him trying to get justice. And there's something in us that goes, even if we wouldn't do it, there's something in us that goes, yes, justice needs to be had, especially the greater the crime is. And what the Bible says is this, God is amazing, and he made us, and he created us, and he loves us, and he wants good for us, and he wants joy for us, and he wants life for us. And yet, we've turned away from him, and we've said, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to live my own life. I want to be my own king. I want to do my own thing. 
And sometimes we actually say those words. Other times it's just ignoring him and just, yeah, I'm just going to kind of live my life. And he doesn't really have a place in it. So the Bible says, and what John has told us throughout the book is that what we deserve for that, even as harsh as it sounds, is death. That what we deserve for that is both physical death and a spiritual death that is, okay, you don't want, you don't want life with me? You don't want to know me? Then you can go on like that forever. That's where C.S. Lewis, author, said that the, the nobody ever, and this is a paraphrase, but he says nobody ever, nobody ever is inside hell screaming, you know, let me, let me out. But we all freely choose to say, I don't, I don't want life with God. I don't want life with God. I don't, I don't want to know him as he says he is. I, I don't want life with him. And so the Bible says what John has taught us is that this barrier in between where God is and where we are, this barrier, Jesus wants to get rid of it. He wants to close that gap. He wants to bring us from over here to here. But the only way to do that is for justice to be had. The only way to do that is for the crimes that we've committed in our hearts, those heart crimes of, I don't want anything to do with you, is for justice to be had for that, for death to be had for that. But here's the amazing thing that, that why Jesus says it's finished is instead of Jesus saying, so therefore, you all must die now. Jesus says, I have to let justice play itself out because I'm a just God. But instead of you having to pay the penalty, I pay it. Instead of you having to die, I'm going to die for you. This is where many classic theologians and songs that we even sing say the cross is the place where God's justice and mercy kiss. Because it's the place where he says, justice, we all know justice has to be had. Leo has to have it. The dad in the courtroom had to have it. Justice has to be had. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll be the one that pays instead of you. But we also know God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And he says, instead of it being you, it'll be me. Instead of you having to pay, I'll pay. Instead of you having to experience life apart from me, I will, and John doesn't record it in his book, but other authors say that even on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting a psalm, but he's saying that even in that moment, there was a spiritual absence between him and his father that he experienced for us. That on the cross is the moment that Jesus substituted himself for us. How can this barrier be removed if, if what Jesus' mission is, is he wants to bring us over here for us to really know what God is like and for us to have life with him? If that's the mission, but something is in the way, how can that get removed? How does the cross make it finished? It makes it finished because he actually creates the way for us to be able to now be reconciled back to God. Because he says, I'll get rid of the problem. The, the, the crimes in our hearts, the, the tendency in our hearts to be drawn away from God. He says, I'll get rid of that by dealing with it myself instead of having you deal with it. And it's even better than that. 
It's even better than that because it's not just that on the cross he forgives us. It's not just that on the cross he, he makes a payment and justice is served. It is that, but it's not only that. Because what he does is he's removing the barrier for us to be able to get over here where we now have life with him and we're now accepted by him and we now know what he's really like. See, the way that I've heard it explained before and that has been helpful to me is if you think about, let's say you are millions of dollars in debt. You're just, I mean, you are just, some of you are in debt, right? But not like this. I, I, don't, I hope not. Millions of dollars in debt. You're just, I mean, there's no way you could ever pay it back. And the Bible even talks about our sin in a way that's a debt. And you go into the bank and the, the banker says, look, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive it. I'm going to pay for it with my own money. And a lot of times that's how we understand the cross, that, man, Jesus got rid of our debt, and he did it himself. He paid for it himself. This banker that had been saving up millions and millions of dollars, and he says, I'm, I'm going to pay your debt myself. And we go, that's beautiful. That would be amazing, right? That would be a good day. But what happens if you leave the bank? You're broke, Right? I mean, you were in debt, millions of dollars, but you're still broke when you leave. Because guess what? You've got zero dollars in your account now, which is still good. It's better than being millions of dollars in debt, but it's, you're still broke. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. Yeah, okay, so you're still broke, right? Thanks for bringing it up. But what if the banker then said, I'm also going to add millions of dollars to your account? So it's not just that your debt is forgiven, but that your account is full. And that's what the Bible says that Jesus does on the cross, that he forgives the debt so that we no longer are looked at as sinners. We no longer have this barricade between us and God where justice has to be paid. It, Jesus pays for it on the cross, but he also brings us over here into life with God where, where he looks at us and says, you're my son, you're my child, I love you. Your account is full now. Why does the cross make it finished? How is it that the cross makes it finished? Because Jesus takes her place. He gets rid of the barrier between us and God by paying for the penalty himself, by, by it not being that we are sinners and God is holy, by it not being that God is good and glorious and beautiful and, and we are people that ignore it. The cross, the cross makes a way by Jesus saying, no, I get I get rid of it. I, I take it on myself. That's how the cross makes it finished. Last thing is this. What does it mean for us that's it, that it is finished? So this is kind of that 2,000-year question of, okay, so that's, that's what happened. That's what happened 2,000 years ago that Jesus believed that the cross was the defining point of his mission that when Jesus taught, he didn't say, it's finished. That wasn't the defining thing. That when Jesus healed people and Jesus did miracles, he didn't say, look, it's, it's finished, because that wasn't the defining thing. That even when Jesus gathered the, the disciples together and said, you're to be a new community, he didn't say, okay, now it's finished, because I've started a new community. That wasn't the defining thing. The defining thing was on the cross. Jesus now said, my mission is finished, because I've made a way to connect God and man. 
But that happened a couple thousand years ago, and what does it mean for us that it's finished? And what I love is in the middle of this story, John actually interrupts the narration to say, hey, let me remind you why I'm writing this again. Because John is recounting these events, and he says, but wait, let me remind you, he that, that saw it, I'm the one writing to you, and I'm writing it to you so that you would believe. So he's telling this story about Jesus, and he's, he's reminding his audience, his readers, about the fact that Jesus died. And he says, but, but let me just be clear, I'm writing this to you so that you would believe. Now when we hear that, because we're a couple thousand years later, it can kind of seem like, oh, you're writing because you want us to, to believe it was a historical fact. Because some people go, well, did that really happen? And is that? But that's not what John's, John's readers knew it happened. That's not what he means when he's saying, I'm writing that you would believe. He's not saying, I'm writing so that you would really believe that this was a historical event that took place. He didn't have to convince them of that. He's saying, I'm writing because I want you to believe in a way that this gets into your soul, that you see the significance of this event, that you see that it wasn't just a historical reality, but there was something happening spiritual. He says, I want you to believe that. I want you to know that. And this is really what this question is. What does it mean for us that it's finished? What does it mean for us? This is what John says he writes for. He wants us to look at this historical event and see more than an event. But to go, so what does it mean then? What does it mean? And it means a lot of things. But let me just relay a few of what it means that Jesus says it's finished. For those of us that can feel guilty, so maybe in your life you even feel bad. Maybe there's things in your past, that, and, I, and I talk to people like this that say, man, I've done things that I don't think God could ever forgive me for. I've done too many bad things. Or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just in your life you when you do something, when you make some mistake, when you do something you know is wrong and you keep playing it over in your mind, and maybe you even want to hurt yourself or, or maybe you just want to speak to yourself about how dumb you are and how bad you are and, how, and you, you want to pay for it. What John says that Jesus said on the cross was, no, it's finished, which means you don't have to pay for it. Jesus did. You don't have to carry the guilt. Jesus did. You don't have to roll it around in your mind because Jesus did. So if, if you're somebody that ever has looked at your life and gone, man, God could never accept me. I'm, I could never be good enough for God because I'm here and he's there. You know what the Bible says? That's true. But Jesus took care of it. The, the, the thing we don't have to do is go, no, that's not true. I am actually good. I am actually okay. I am actually wonderful. So God should accept me. Because we might believe that for a little bit, and then we go, well, actually, I know myself, and I'm not okay, and I'm not wonderful. And the Bible says you don't have to do that. You know what you get to do? You get to go, no, I am messed up to the core. I did do this. I am that bad. I have done this. I have thought this. I have felt this. But it doesn't define me. Because Jesus took care of it. And so you don't have to carry guilt anymore. Because Jesus carried it all. That's what it is finished means. 
It means if you ever feel like you have to make yourself pay for something you did wrong, Jesus goes, no, I paid for it. We sing that song a lot. Jesus paid it all. That's what it means. It means we don't pay for it. And we go, well, I I feel like I need to pay for it because I, okay, but that's what the cross is. That we go, man, Jesus, you'll take it instead. That's guilt. That's part of what it is finished means. Sometimes with guilt also, we can be really defensive. If you find yourself being a defensive person, somebody says something to you, somebody corrects you in some way, somebody approaches you about something, somebody you feel, if you're a person that often feels slighted or feels criticized or feels, what are they thinking about me? If you're a person that feels like part of that often is because we're afraid to own our own guilt and go, no, I'm actually, I'm actually worse than I think I am. But it's okay because that's not what defines me because Jesus paid for it. You see, what the cross says is this, all of us are worse than we think we are. That's what it says, that we're all so bad that we killed Jesus, that we all share that guilt. And yet, that's not what defines us because Jesus paid for it. So if you feel guilty, here's the words that you need to hear. It's finished. It's finished. Or sometimes we can be uncertain of God's love. We can be uncertain. Does he, does he really love me? Is he really for me? Does he really want good for me? And we may feel that now, or we can look at events in our life, and we can go, okay, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. So how do I know God is really good? How do I know God is really for me? And we can't, I can't talk about a whole sermon on suffering, and we've talked about that, and I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But here's what we see in the cross. John told us earlier, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So you know what the cross shows us? That we don't have to ever be uncertain of God's love, because Jesus didn't do this. He didn't say, you know what? I really want you to have better relationship with me. I want to get you from here to over here. And then he started going and then went, man, this is hard. I'm done. He didn't do that. He went all the way to the end until he could say, it's finished. What that means is that in his heart, he went to the very bitter end to love us. So we never have to be uncertain of his love. Even though we can look at circumstances in our life and go, Man, how could this happen if he loves me? How could this happen if he... What the cross says is, man, he has given us the best that he could ever give us. That's what Paul says in in his letter to the church in Rome. And he says, if God has given us his own son, how much more would he not give us all things? And it doesn't mean he would give us anything that we would ever want, but it means that he is always giving to us out of love, even if we don't see it. So we don't have to be uncertain of his love. And it it also means this, that we are accepted and don't have to work for it. See, some of you maybe are really good people. And maybe you're Christians and you've been Christians for a while and you, you do good things. And yet you always feel, is it enough? Is God happy with me yet? And does he love me? What, what does he feel about me? And often I'll ask people the question, 
How do you envision God thinking of you right now? What's the look on his face? Is it apathy? Just kind of a shoulder shrug? Is it hostility? Is it kind of a wait and see? What do you got for me? And so we can live our lives trying and trying. Okay, I'm trying to make God happy. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what Jesus would do. I want to be like Jesus. I want to try hard. I want to, and, and it can get tiring and it can get hard and it can get burdensome and it can get, it can get where we can get worn out. But you know what the cross says? The cross says it's finished. Martin Luther, who uh, was the leader of the Protestant Reformation which is when the, the church kind of split off from the Catholic church, really over this issue in a lot of ways. And he was, he was a monk. And he lived his life trying hard, hard, hard to get God to be happy with him. He had 17 what would Jesus do bracelets. He was just trying as hard as he could to get God to be happy with him. I made that part up. They were invented later. He was trying hard. He would whip himself to pay for his sins. He would climb steps on his knees. He would do all of these things to try to get God to be happy with him, to finally know that God was okay with him. And you know what he said? reflecting later in life when he came to realize some of these truths. Here's, here's some quotes of what he said. He says, I tortured myself with prayer, fasting, vigils, and freezing. The frost alone might have killed me. What else did I seek by doing this but God, who was supposed to note my strict observance of the monastic order in my austere life? I constantly walked in a dream and lived in real idolatry, for I did not believe in Christ. I regarded him only as a severe and terrible judge portrayed as seated on a rainbow. When I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fastings, vigils, prayers, and other very rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my works. And then he says this, I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God, I hated him. So here's this monk trying so hard to get God to look on him and love him. But you know what the cross says? And this is what finally liberated Luther's soul. It's finished. You don't have to earn anything anymore. Jesus did it. You don't have to pay for anything anymore. Jesus did it. You don't have to try to accomplish anything anymore. Jesus did it. It's, the cross doesn't say you can do it. The cross says Jesus did it. The cross doesn't say if you can do these things, God will be happy with you. It says, no, Jesus did it, and so God is happy with you. That's what liberated Luther was its faith, not in what we do, but going, okay, Jesus, I want that. Let that be for me. 
that liberated his soul and gave him a sense of freedom and delight. This is the difference between Christianity and really every other system of thought. Because every other system, even Christianity, wrongly understood, says, if you do some set of things, God will be happy with you. If you're a good person, if you love people, if you love him enough, if you, if you can be obedient, if you can be submissive, if you can be enlightened enough, if you can love yourself enough, if you can convince yourself you're okay, then ah, that's when you really reach peace. And the gospel, the good news says, it's nothing you do. It is finished. That's a way different way of living. That's a way different way of thinking. How sad would it be to go through life like Luther? And maybe some of us have felt this. I know I have. To go through life trying to earn something that has already been paid. Trying to get something that has already been given. I heard of a guy in jail, and he's been there for several months and he didn't realize, and I don't know if he's dumb or, or the court system was dumb, but his probation was set at $2. And how, how sad would it be to be stuck in a prison, not realizing all the resources that we need to be free are already there. It's finished. It's already been paid. That means we're already accepted. We're already guilt-free. We don't have to be uncertain of his love. What if we believe that? What if those three words is really how we lived our life? Where do you need to believe that? I only touched on a few things that that applies to, but man, it applies to so many things. I talked to a guy once that said, why do you guys do communion every week? Doesn't it get old? <laughs> That's what I said. It doesn't get old. It doesn't get old if, if we understand this. It is finished. Applies to everything. Where are you working for something you've already been given? Where are you carrying guilt that you don't need to carry? Where are you unsure of God's love? It is finished. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. That his body was broken, his blood is shed, so we can live our life under those three beautiful words. It is finished. That's amazing. Let's pray and then let's sing. Father, thank you that you have given to us Jesus. That you said you loved us so much that you gave your son to finish it for us. And the great words that you speak into our life is not get it done or you can do it or try harder or, or any of those things. It's it is finished. I thank you for those words, Jesus. I thank you that you even spoke those on the cross so that thousands of years later, in the everyday details of our life, we could live with a freedom, we could live with a joy, we could live with a peace, knowing what you've done for us. Lord, I pray now as we take communion and we sing that you would even let these truths go deeper and deeper into our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus.